And as this small parade of our young ones proceeds, I invite the rest of you to stand for the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading is from Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Would you please join with me in prayer? Uh, Father, again, we come to you in prayer um, because that's kind of the way that we begin to listen. Uh, we know that we cannot hear your word by ourselves, that we need your help. And so we speak to you as you have spoken to us, asking that you would help us to hear, that you would open our minds and our hearts and even our lives, that we might be shaped by your word and made more like Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So given that we're talking about work, I'd like to invite you in your minds to go to the, the, day that, the next day that you're working. Probably for most of you it's tomorrow morning. Maybe some of you it's Tuesday or another time. And just kind of go there in your mind. You know, the alarm clock wakes you up earlier than you would like. You, you get up. You have to kind of quick because you either have to get on the road quickly or you need to catch a train. You get in the car or you get in the train. You're moving, you're moving. You finally get to wherever it is, whether it's an office or Starbucks or wherever. And then the work day starts. Here's the challenge I think many of you face, many of us face. And that's that when we get to work, we get lost. I don't mean we get lost as in we've lost the building, we don't know where we are. Hopefully, if you've been there for a while, you know how to get around in your workplace. But we, we get lost in that we, we lose ourselves. Because there are a lot of things going on at work, aren't there? There's, there's anxiety, there's ambition, there's at times boredom, there's conflict, there's exhaustion, and there is Busyness, and in all of that, we lose sight of who we are. We lose sight of the fact that we, as followers of Jesus, are on mission. We get lost. If you've been with us the last few months, you'll know that we're talking about mission quite a bit. We first thought and talked together about what we see in Scripture about God's mission, about how God has been at work rescuing, redeeming this world, showing his love to us with arms wide open. And two weeks ago, we turned to think about what our role in this is and how we are also called to join in that same open-armed love. That's our calling. And last week we saw, perhaps to our surprise, that we actually are gifted to do this. That God, having given us new birth, has given us the capacity 
to love even as Christ has loved us. And we have the opportunity to love our brothers in our households. But we also have the opportunity to show this life-changing love in our workplace. That's, in some ways, the mission we have as we go to wherever we are. And it's a mission that in all of the things that consume us in work, we can lose sight of. We get lost. So here is, I think, the central truth of our passage that I think helps arm us against getting lost. It's a simple idea, and that is that you and I, who are Christians, are slaves of Christ. Now, you might have noticed what we have here is this section of Ephesians where Paul is giving instructions to people who literally are slaves. And of course, whenever we come across passages like this, part of us goes, why isn't Paul more obviously against slavery? But we should realize who Paul is speaking to. Paul is not addressing the emperor. He's not speaking to the governors who have the ability to change the societal structures. He's speaking to slaves, and slaves can't revolt. Those who did try to revolt were always crushed. And if masters freed all of the slaves all at once, they would be impoverished because they rely on this relationship for their family's well-being. So Paul knows he is speaking to people who are stuck and who are probably wrestling with, given that they are stuck in the situation, how can they relate to the work they are called to do? Uh, Perhaps some of you feel that same question. Obviously, you're not literally slaves, but maybe you also feel stuck. You've been trained for a certain job. You find yourself in a certain job. It pays the bills. You need it. But the situation is hard for you, and you feel stuck. What do you do with that? How do you relate well to your work? Well, here is the encouragement as a pastor that Paul gives to slaves. Slaves, here's what you need to know. You actually are slaves of Jesus. I mean, that's, that's what we see. In some ways, the, the key verse of our passage is verse 6, that we're supposed to obey our earthly masters, he says to slaves, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, which just is this fancy way of saying, as slaves of Christ. You are slaves of Christ. That's the theme that's throughout these verses. And that's really the center of what I wanted to say. And we might wonder at this point, how is Paul encouraging people? I mean, cheer up, you're a slave, is something that sounds pretty weird to us, I think. And so I think it's important for us to realize that we view slavery a little bit differently from people in those days because it was not always a bad thing to be a slave in that culture. If you were the slave of an important person, you had a status that was far above the free peasants. You have a much higher standard of living. You have much more access to power. You are viewed as important. If you were a slave of the emperor, one of his inside servants, well, you were above many nobles in terms of status and power and all of that. I mean, in some ways to be a slave of the emperor would be the equivalent of being on the president's cabinet. Yes, you're accountable to someone, you're answerable to someone, but you can make a whole lot of decisions. And so Paul is saying, slave, you need to understand what you really are. You are not someone who belongs to this earthly master. That's not who you are. You are a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the universe. 
And that is a status of incalculable dignity. And, and Paul can say that to them because of the gospel. I mean, Scripture regularly uses the metaphor of humanity of us being sold into slavery. When we turned against God, we have put ourselves into the clutches of sin. We are slaves to sin, the taskmaster, and our outcome is death. And Jesus goes to the cross, and it says that when he dies for us, he buys us. With his life, with his blood, he purchases us and makes us his own. And so we see in Corinthians, it says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. That's slave language. You were bought by Jesus. You are now his. And so he says to slaves, you belong to Jesus. You are his slaves, not the slaves of the masters that think that they own you. And Paul wouldn't just say that to them. He'd say that to us as well, because Christ bought us. We say this every month, don't we? What is your one comfort in life and death? That I am not my own. But I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That is a slave statement. You are confessing that you belong to Jesus. You are a slave of Christ. When you think of what you do before you put the word lawyer or plumber or doctor or teacher, or whatever your occupation is, you should realize above any of that, you are a slave of Christ. That is who you are. Which means fundamentally what you do in all of your work, whatever it is, is you serve Christ. That is your fundamental job description. And that's what Paul keeps coming back to in these verses. I don't know if you noticed that. When he says, bondservants, obey your master, but he's saying, because here's what you're actually doing. You're doing it with a sincere heart as you would Christ. So you're serving Christ. Again, verse 6, as bondservants of Christ. Verse 7, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord. That is Jesus, not to man, because, of course, you're a slave of Christ. Again and again, he's saying, you need to understand your work, when you're doing your work, Yes, you're going to be obeying what your earthly master says, but your work is not actually just doing what your earthly master says. When you are doing your menial tasks, whatever they are, when you're cleaning a latrine, when you're serving food, when you're having to put up with all sorts of things, realize it's not him that you are serving. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your job. And that's true for you as well. You know, I've already taken you in your mind to your work on Monday morning or whatever it is. I want you to kind of add another little detail to that. Think of the person whose opinion of you most matters for your success. Maybe it is a supervisor. Maybe it's your clients. Do you have that person or that group of people in your mind? Now, I want you to say, you don't have to say it out loud unless you really would like to, but you can say it to yourself internally, I am not working for that person. I am working for Christ Jesus because I'm a slave of Christ. I am not working for that person or that group of people 
I am working for Christ Jesus because I am a slave of Christ. So you work for Christ Jesus, you are serving him. And what does he call you to do? That's kind of the the second thing I want to talk about. As slaves of Christ, here's what he calls us to do. He actually calls you to do your job. The first thing Paul says is bond servants obey your earthly masters in your service to Christ. Now, why is that? Well, we've already spoken about how the work of Christ in this world is he is giving himself in love to this world to redeem it, to make all things right. And as we belong to him, as we are his slaves, his servants, his emissaries, he sends us into the world to serve the world on his behalf. And one of the primary ways you and I, one of the primary opportunities you and I have to serve the world is through our work. Notice, he is not saying, slaves, because Jesus is your master, don't do what your boss says. Instead, I want you to tell them the gospel. That's not what Paul says. Now, of course, it is always a good thing to share Jesus when we have the opportunity because people need Christ. But fundamentally, it says, in your work as slaves, I know that you don't always love it, but you are a servant of Christ, and Christ calls you to love and to serve, and the way that you can serve the world is through doing your job well. And that's true for us as well. I mean, we can see it if we just think for a moment about the way that our work contributes to the good of the world. Here's, here's a really obvious illustration of, of what I mean by this. So about 20 years ago or so, United Airlines Flight 811 took off from Honolulu on its way to New Zealand. It was a 747. It had climbed to about 20,000 feet. It was about 100 miles away from shore. And then its forward cargo door just blew off. And there was a hole that was ruptured in the fuselage. Nine people immediately got sucked out and died. So in this moment, two of the engines have been destroyed by it, so the the steering is just completely askew. The plane can't go too fast or else the, the hole will get bigger. And at the same time, it can't go too slow because it needs to stay up. It still has all of the fuel from taking off, so it's too heavy to be able to land normally without collapsing the landing gear. And oh, by the way, the wing flaps no longer are working, the ones that are meant to slow things down. So if you are the captain, a guy by the name of David Cronin, how do you serve Christ Jesus in that moment? Is it by deciding to get onto the intercom and tell them about what happens after death and telling them the gospel? Well, here's what David Cronin did. It says, I said a prayer for my passengers momentarily, and then I got back to business. And he did. In fact, he landed in a way that the crew says was one of the softest landings they had ever experienced. It was remarkable. He used all of his skill, all of his wisdom to do his job well. And in doing so, he honored Christ and served him. And now, my guess is most of you will never have quite so dramatic a moment with your work. But whatever work you are doing, it still holds true. You are showing Christ's love when you are doing the careful work of analyzing and calculating to help your company make a good decision. 
Or you are serving Christ in the world when you are fixing an air conditioner or plumbing, and now it works and it didn't before. And you are serving Christ faithfully when you are being patient with a client. By doing your job well, by doing it competently, you are extending the life-changing love of Christ to the world around you. But notice when Paul is giving instructions to this lady, he doesn't just say, do your job well. Because we know sometimes people can be incredibly competent and they can be jerks, right? But, but Paul says you're called to something higher, to not only do your job well, but to do it with a distinctive attitude. All of this language of from the heart, with sincerity, with a good will. In other words, do your job in a Christ-like manner, not just with competency, but with a Christ-like love. Another illustration um, this, actually, like the previous one, is taken from this book I've alluded to, Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller. Tim Keller speaks of this one woman who set foot in his church, and he was able to have a conversation with her after, and he found out why she came. And she said, you know, I've just started this, this intense job at a big company in Manhattan, and fairly early on, I made a pretty big mistake, and I was fairly certain I was going to get fired. But then my boss took the fall for me, and, and took all of the blame for what I did. And I was floored. And so I, I eventually went in and talked to the, my boss, and I thanked him. I also said, I have never experienced anything like this. I've seen many people take credit when they don't deserve it, but to take blame when they don't deserve it just makes no sense to me. And, and then she tried probing and understanding, why did you just do that? And he kind of dodged the question for a little while, but eventually he said, here's the thing. I believe that Jesus laid down his life for me and took the blame for the things that I did wrong. And so it is a privilege that I have to be able to do that for others. And then she said, where do you go to church? Because that's not like anything else, right? We have an opportunity in the way that we work to do things in a distinctively Christ-like fashion. And that is what it looks like to live out our identity as slaves of Christ in the workplace. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who aren't Christians who say one of the main reasons they aren't is because they haven't seen people who say they believe in Jesus in making any difference in their lives. We have an opportunity as slaves of Christ simply in the way that we work with competence and in a Christ-like manner to show a difference in the way that we serve the world. That's what we're called to do as slaves of Christ. But I wonder if, you're ha if a question is occurring to you. You might be thinking, okay, wait a second. So you're basically saying it's exactly the same because I know some people who work well and work with integrity, and you're just basically saying, just do what you are already doing. Is there any difference? And I want to say yes, but the difference oftentimes is less in what you do and more in your motivation for doing it as a slave of Christ. There's a, a strong contrast of motivation that I think lies near the very heart of this passage about work. And again, it's in verse 6. Verse 6 says, Do these things not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Do you see that there's a two kind of slavery? Literally, that first word is 
I slavery. I slavery and slavery to Jesus. I slavery is a word, of course, I'm making up, but actually it's a word that Paul made up here. People said they've never seen this word before Paul says it. So he's just making it up here to make a point. But my guess is we know what he's talking about when he talks about the motivation of I slavery. That is, doing things for appearance's sake, and that being the motivation that's behind what we do. We know it because we've seen it, right? We know when we've seen someone who has figured out how to look like they are working hard and just get away with doing the bare minimum, where all that matters to them is what they look like. That's I slavery. Or probably some of us have seen the eye slavery of ambition. That is, someone who does work hard, but you know you can't trust them. Because at any moment, if it's in their best interests, they will take credit for something that you've done, or they will throw you under the bus so that they can keep moving up the corporate ladder. Their ambition is what drives them, and they're only concerned about appearances. That's eye slavery. Or sometimes, and this is even subtler, eye slavery appears in the form of just needing to prove ourselves when you see someone who's just determined to prove that they are better than anyone else, they are still trying to get the appearance of of respectfulness, of being great. That is I slavery. We know what it looks like. Of course, I keep on speaking about them, but we know what it looks like because that's us, right? I mean, when we are stuck in a situation where we are being asked to do a job for someone and we think it's completely unreasonable, our main temptation at that moment is to figure out how to do the least possible and still fulfill what we're asked to do. And we know the desire to kind of somehow pump our reputation up as we're trying to get that new job. We know what it looks to be driven by appearances. But here's the thing. I slavery truly is a form of slavery, isn't it? It's shaped ultimately by fear and anxiety. Because it doesn't come from within as a desire to just give of ourselves, there's not creativity, there's not freedom, there's not joy. It's not the way that we were designed to work. And Paul says you have a different way that you can work. Don't you desire to work with motivation, with energy, with joy? Well, do you notice how he keeps on coming back to motivation in these verses? Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart. That's this motivation. Not by way of eye services as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will. Paul is saying that as we live out our identity as slaves of Christ and let that be our guiding thing, it gives us a passion, a joy, a motivation that's different from the slavery of eye service. Now, why is that? Let me give you four reasons why this is something that actually can give you a joyful motivation rather than just this slavery of appearances. First, now, as slaves of Christ, the person that you are working for is worth it. See, part of our difficulty is that sometimes we are not sure about what our company is doing and we don't feel great about it. Or we, I mean, our client can be just so frustrating and not really honestly deserving our full efforts. But here's the good news. You're no longer serving your company first and foremost. You're no longer serving your client first and foremost. You are serving the Lord Jesus. You're serving the one who laid down his life for you, who died to rescue you. 
And now you have the opportunity to show your love to him. I mean, isn't that awesome? When you are working, you are serving Jesus. That brings to the, the second point about motivation. That means that the work that you are doing is significant. And this just flows from what I just said before, but everything you are doing, no matter how menial, no matter how small, is holy. It's worship. Peter O'Brien, who's probably the best commentator on this, um, on Ephesians, wrote this, um, ultimately then, the distinction between the sacred and the secular breaks down. Any and every task, however menial, falls within the sphere of Christ's lordship and is done in order to please Christ. I mean, do you hear that? Every task, no matter how small it might feel in the moment, if it is being done in your identity as a slave of Christ to serve Jesus, it is holy, it is sacred, it is worship. So when you are patient with that client who doesn't deserve it because you belong to Jesus, you are worshiping Christ. When you stay up late to get a report just right, even though you know no one's going to know the difference, you are doing something holy and sacred if you're doing it in service to Jesus. When you give credit to a coworker who doesn't deserve it, when you follow up with someone way beyond what you need to just because you care in service to Christ, when you are doing your homework, even though it seems like you're doing the most inane activity that makes no sense to do, but you're doing it because you are a slave of Christ, that is worship and holy, it is sacred, it is significant. Third, because you are a slave of Christ, you don't need to worry about the corporate ladder anymore. I mean, we've said before that I slavery, part of the reason for it is because we so much desire to keep moving up. And of course, it is right for us to aspire, to aspire to be able to use our gifts well, and sometimes to, to desire more responsibility because we believe we can serve well. That is a good ambition but we don't need any longer to let it define ourselves. That's when it becomes a problem. Because you cannot possibly go higher than you already are. Because you are a slave of Christ. You are a servant of the king of the universe. You have inside access to the one who has more power than anyone else, and he gives you a job of infinite significance. Nothing you can do in terms of job Titles in this world can compare to that already, and so you're freed from needing to prove yourself in that way. And then finally, fourthly, because you are a slave of Christ, you have a different compensation package. Look at verses 7 and 8. You are rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a bondservant or free. Do you see what he's saying? One of your key motivations is that you know that as you are serving the people that you are serving, the Lord sees and he rewards. 
Now, we know scripture is clear that we are saved not on the basis of works. We are saved because of Jesus and because of forgiveness through him. But scripture is also clear that our actions matter to God. And what this is saying is that what you do, whatever you do, notice there's this kind of whatever it is, the smallest of things, and whatever your role, it doesn't matter to God whether you are a CEO or you are on the lowest level of flipping burgers at McDonald's, it doesn't matter whether bondservant or free. The work that you do is seen by God and is rewarded by God. I don't know exactly what that reward is. My guess is the reason scripture doesn't give us details is because God has a much better sense of what we need than we do, and so it wouldn't even help us if it's specified. But what I am confident is on the last day when we look back, we will see that every sacrifice that we made in service to Christ, we will be glad we did. There will be joy. There will be reward. We serve knowing that our God sees and that every feeble effort we make, every clumsy attempt we make to serve Christ, he smiles on and he delights in rewarding. Here's the truth. Tomorrow morning or whenever you go back to work, you can hold on to an incredibly important reality by remembering that you are a slave of Christ. And if you hold on to that reality, then when you are getting in the car or getting on the train, it is not just to do your job. You are heading out to worship. The work that you will be doing will be in service to the Savior who loved you, who sees you. And the work that you'll be doing is significant whether you see the significance or not because it's being done to serve the King of the universe. And this master does love you and see you, and he will honor the work that you have done. I'd like to take a moment just for us to kind of prepare our hearts to think. So, so many of you have been probably thinking, or at least if you're like me, you can think about how there are ways that your work is done oftentimes for eye slavery. And I'd like us to use this time of confession to kind of almost prepare ourselves for this week before us to acknowledge ways that we see our work wrongly and to ask for God's help that we might live out the reality that we are slaves of Christ. So take a few minutes for confession and prayer and then I'll lead us in prayer uh, subsequently. Let's pray silently together. Lord God, you have loved us with an everlasting love. You have loved us beyond our comprehension. You have bought us out of slavery to sin and death. You have made us your own. And you have given us work to do, work that is good because it is for you. Lord, forgive us for how we have turned our work into something else, a way where we are trying to serve just based on appearances, 
with our hearts turned inward, seeking just to serve ourselves. Father, we, when we see most clearly, realize this is slavery and this is not the way that we want to work. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to see our identity as slaves of Christ Jesus. And that would change the way that we work so that as we work, we would work not only with competence, but with Christ-likeness and with joy, knowing that it is being done for your glory and that you see. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, hear the good news of the gospel. Peter tells you that you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thanks be to God.